So we, we're on this journey, and, and um, we're not going to apologize every time we mention it, but we'd like to keep you focused. And that's why we, we talk about the series that we're on called Live the Way. And uh, we're on this particular path talking about being with Jesus. We realized one thing, that for us to be fruitful in life, to do what Jesus wants us to do, we've got to become like Him. And in order for us to become like Him, we've got to get to know Him so that we can become and do. And one of the things that we recognize in life is that we often battle with fruitfulness as believers. We know a lot. We may do Christian stuff. But the one thing that we often seem to lack, and, and it's seemingly becoming more and more apparent is the inability to regularly just be with Jesus. Because our lifestyle has become so full and so busy and so active that the one simple rhythm of just being with Jesus is often lost. And so our journey is talking amongst each other about being with Jesus. So that out of that we can develop these patterns and these rhythms in order for us to become like Jesus. And that the fruit of that would be we do what He wants us to do. And as churches often, and yeah even, we have often spoken, guys, the behavior is important. Check your behavior. See what you're doing. But we have often not linked it to the simple practice of being with Jesus and of getting to know Him and of seeing how he functions and lived in order for us to become like him, in order for us to bear the fruit that he bore. And so this morning, last week, we spoke about simply being slow. We spoke about the pace of Jesus and how he lived and how he slowed down. And being slow is not celebrated in this world. I found somebody asked me to find out about a parcel that was sent from Switzerland to, to Zimbabwe. And it was indicated from Switzerland that the parcel is at Hillside Post Office already. And so they asked me, could you just find out whether it's here or, wrong, or not? I phoned Hillside and they indicated that it's still in Arari. It's not here yet. So it's taking even slower to get here. And nobody goes, yay, I like that. I love slow. No. We often don't. But yet in the Word of God, slow is celebrated. And that's what we looked at last week. And as we considered that, I realized this one thing, that it's good for us to encourage one another to be slow and to be with Jesus. But often the attitude in which we then set aside time perhaps and, and be with Him and walk closely with Him is a different attitude. And it was so beautiful how Clive just spoke about the fact that God is speaking to our attitudes. And so this morning I want to talk about, last week it was be slow. This morning is really be genuine. And the, the title of the message is this, right feet and right hearts. Right feet and right heart because Jesus often would say come and follow me and follow me virtually by walking with me in the sense use your feet but then Jesus on the same time he would say listen 
I love the fact that you're with me, but don't just say, Lord, Lord, but your hearts are far from me. He would, con- he would speak right into the attitude and the motivation of our hearts. He'd say, your heart, your feet are right. You, you're with me. You're doing this stuff. You, you find yourself in church. You, you find yourself setting aside time perhaps. And, and we will keep on talking about this thing about setting time aside and, and building those patterns in our lives. But he, Jesus is saying, it's great that you do that. But you know what is actually as important and perhaps even more is what is in your heart? The right motivation that we ought to have. And, and so I want to dive into Mark chapter 14. If you would like to just pick up your Bibles, swipe your machine, put it on. If it's the battery has died, blame it on Zessa then. Everybody's blaming Zessa for stuff these days. So you can do that even in church. But if you know that you ought to have charged it because you knew that it's the only way that you're going to read the Bible this morning and you didn't pray this prayer with me. No, don't worry. Mark 14. What we're going to do is I'm going to just go through Mark 14 with you. I just want to show you some things of, about what this chapter is all about, and then we're going to go back into it. Is that okay? All right, so just a quick summary of, um, of Mark 14. And so it starts off with a, a prominent thing taking place, where in um, chapter 14, verses 3 to 9, we find that Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. Quite an interesting thing that the Bible says, Simon the leper. Now, Simon wouldn't have been a leper if, if Jesus and other people had gone into his house. Because they wouldn't have been allowed to go in there, because he was a leper. But Simon was a leper. And so even if his name carries that, it doesn't identify him as a leper. He used to be leprous. And often that's what we do to ourselves. Oh, this is another preach. Is that I'm called Vesi the unfaithful. I used to be unfaithful perhaps, but God has come and changed our hearts and our identity in God has changed. But amongst people, we're still Simon the leper. Uh-huh. What identity are you carrying today that is no longer what God sees you to be as, but people call you that. And you look at yourself and you see yourself as that. And you still walk under that cloud of that past identity. And friends, Jesus came into the house of Simon the leper. But Simon was healed. Yet they called him Simon the leper. Interesting, hey? Please don't go by the past reputations that people had given you or what your lifestyle had determined you to be. Go by the... the, the identity that Jesus gives you. And if you haven't found that yet, we'd like to help you. Not because we have courses, just because we have the Word of God that gives us a new identity through Christ. That was just for free. Stop the clock. Now the clock can start again. All right. So Jesus is in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. He meets this amazing woman there, and we'll look at that just now. The second portion of, of this chapter is, is where Judas is exposed and, and his plans come to, to be known. And Judas was this, obviously this individual that um, eventually sold Jesus. He, he completely betrayed him. And we read about that from verses 10 to 11. Then, then there's a time, these, 
by the way, chapter 14 is the last two days before Jesus is crucified. So a lot of things happening. A lot of activity going around. And, and you've got to sometimes, when you read the Bible, please make sure that you understand or read a bit wider also, that you can see the context, because context is important. And so here we find that Jesus has Passover with the disciples, and the Passover and the reasoning for that is, is obviously all still attributed to the fact that when the Israelites were freed from Egypt, the, they had to smear blood on their on their doorpost, and the angel of death passed over those homes that had blood on the outside so that the firstborn of that family was not killed. And so from that day, they, they continued as the Israelites to celebrate the Passover, indicating God's grace passed, or His, His grace was so much so that when death came, it passed over our homes because of His grace. And today, your and my life are also sanctified by the blood of Jesus, that, that wrath does not come to us and death does not come to us. But because of Him dying on the cross, death passes over our lives. So they celebrate this and disciples have a time with Jesus. But then we read in Mount Olives, they go up there and they have a conversation. That's just a specific um, time that He had with His disciples, Jesus did. Then we move into the portion of verse 32 where Jesus goes into the garden of Gethsemane and there's an amazing um, discourse that takes place there and an event that happened. We then find Jesus is arrested uh, and obviously Judas plays a major role in that. And then as he is arrested, he's taken to the, to the council and, and there he appears um, in front of the high priest and the other uh, priests and the elders and the scribes and, and they accuse him and, and you know, there's a whole thing that happens there. And then coming out of that, we find that in 66 to 72 verses, we find that Peter himself denies Jesus. And so what I'd like to focus on in terms of not talking about the actual practice of being with Jesus, I'm talking this morning about the actual attitude of walking close with Jesus. And I want to look at three individuals in this chapter we find three people's names mentioned. We do not find the lady's name mentioned, particularly in Mark 14. In other chapters in the Gospels, it seemed like it could have been Mary, the, the sister of Martha. Some even say it could be Mary Magdalene. But in our discussion this morning, we're going to just say Mary. Is that okay? It was a woman, and, and she stood out for something particular. We also find that there's an individual in this portion called Judas. And we're going to look at his life. And then finally, there's a name called Peter. And we're going to look at those guys together. And so, we're not going to look at them in the sequence that they appear in the chapters. I'm going to look at them from the bottom and go back or from the end and go to the beginning. And I want to start with Peter. And just mention this about him, that Peter, in being close to him, he asks this question. And I'm going to do this with each one of these three characters. That Peter asks this question, what is comfortable? So Jesus in his attitude, or rather Peter, in his attitude of being close to Jesus at that time, may I add. Because Peter's heart did change. Praise the Lord for that. Peter in his attitude toward Christ, while he was walking around with him, seemingly had an attitude or a question, what is comfortable for me in terms of walking close 
to Jesus. Because Peter was the man with great boldness, stepped out of the boat to walk on water towards Jesus. Let's just kind of introduce you to this man, Peter. Peter was also the man who was quick to give an answer when Jesus would ask a question. He was always ready. Peter was there. <laughs> and always ready with a, with a reply or, a, or a, um, an answer. Peter was also the man who was quick to confirm to Jesus that although others would walk away from him, he would never. We find that in, in Mark 14, verse 27, where, where they're having this discourse. And, and Jesus says, you will all fall away. Because what is going to happen is going to actually lead you to all fall away. Peter, the man who always is ready to give an answer, to have something to say, says in verse 29, Peter said, even though they all fall away, I will not. Isn't it that Peter seemingly was a guy who was always ready to say something, but maybe he never really thought about it. He was that guy. He was the man who was then warned by Jesus that he would actually deny him. But he was too proud to admit that it could ever happen because we see that as Peter stands up and says, No, Lord, I will never walk away from you. Jesus says, well, You're going to do that, actually. And uh, even tonight, you're going to do it before the rooster crows twice. You will deny me three times. And, G and Peter said, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. And even the, all of the others said the same. Peter is also the man who was asked by Jesus to accompany him in his most trying time to pray with him and for him. So Peter was very close. The point I'm trying to make is these were all people that were close to Jesus. Ready feet. We also find that, that this is the man who was told by Jesus that you will go to death with me, but you cannot stay awake and pray with me. You just said that, Peter. Because that's what Peter said. I'll, I'll die with you. But when Jesus asked Peter to just stay awake and pray with me in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we see that in, in this portion in verses 38, 37 to 38, that Peter, he was sleeping. He's, early on he said, I'll die with you, but I can't stay awake with you. And so we have ready feet. We say, yeah, 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 Lord. And, and when the going gets tough, I fall asleep. No, 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 this is too much can't do that this is also the man great bold zealous man he drew a sword and and he removed the ear amazing that hey i wonder if he was going for the ear we never know maybe one day in heaven we can ask peter this peter did you aim for the ear because that's very good actually have you ever considered that maybe he's aiming for his pinky or something he's like completely missed he cut his ear off but anyway peter is so zealous he, he's like no you can't arrest jesus i'll cut off your ear Ah, look at me. Ah, could it be that could this happened because in the moments that he was supposed to be praying, he wasn't. He was sleeping. Couldn't that time of prayer help him to perhaps control himself more? Yeah, Jesus had to pick up the ear and put it back on. See, how many times have we messed up where ears are lying around? That's a gruesome picture, isn't it? But isn't it in our, in our own way of, of, of our demeanor, in a way that we added, we respond to people, we cut off ears. And Jesus had to come and pick them up. Because we ought to have been in prayer, preparing ourselves for things that are coming that we don't know, but we kind of fall asleep. And so when the moment of great temptation comes, cut off your ear, baby. And Jesus has to pick up the, 
the stuff that's lying around. What's lying around me today? Because of my attitude of me ignoring, actually being close to Jesus with the right heart. But when I get into the public, I cut off ears. Makes you think. Gee, this is Peter. Gee, uh, we find more about this man. It says he was the man who, when Jesus was arrested, followed him. But he followed him at a distance. And he followed him in such a way that the Bible says here in chapter 14, verse 54, he chose to rather warm himself around a fire than care about the terrible and innocent pain inflicted on Jesus, his friend. Right feet. Hey, I'm around. I'm around Jesus. I'm close to Jesus. But when the going gets tough, there you go, Jesus. You're on your own. Hey, the fire is nice. It's nice and warm. Maybe the bed this morning could have been a much warmer place for us to be at. Well done for coming out of those duvets and blankets. But you know what? Right heart is the thing that Jesus is also looking for. Not just right positioning. Peter was at a distance. He was also the man who followed Jesus closely, but his heart kept him close to his uncomfort and distant from absolute surrender. That's why I want to suggest to you that Peter asked the question in terms of following Jesus, what is comfortable for me? What is comfortable for me? And so Jesus saw that this man, Peter, was eventually the guy who denied him three times, even though he actually got a warning through the rooster crowing the first time. That's an amazing thing this for me, that, that Jesus... He warned Peter. He said, you will do this. And then he warned him again by the first time that the rooster crows. But Peter carries on twice more. He denies Jesus. And, and I kind of ask myself the question, how many times am I warned? How many times does Holy Spirit come and tap me on the shoulder? And I, and I know that I'm going in a certain direction and I'm warned. And it's not a rooster that's crowing. It's, it's something else. But I'm, I'm being warned by heaven saying, no go this way or stop or do this or whatever it may be but I keep on ignoring it because I'm so aware of my own comfort ready feet but hearts far away and so without completely discrediting Peter I want you to notice this that Peter is the guy that told Mark John Mark the author of this gospel what to write. Did you know that? So without, it's so easy to say, oh, Peter, bad, bad boy. Check <laughs> what you've done. Guess who's the guy who, who narrated all of this to be written down? Peter himself. He disclosed this to John Mark and said, Mark, it was me. I did this. I chose my own comfort above my Savior. And so, without coming out and accusing our brother Peter and saying how bad he was, let's recognize that when he came to a point of repentance, he sat down and he disclosed to John Mark exactly 
what his heart was like before he came to a point of repentance. It's amazing. We deal with the, the second man. We deal with Judas, Judas who, who in being close to him, asks this question, what can I get? So Judas is this man who was handpicked by Jesus to, to follow him and become one of his closest friends among thousands others that could have, that wanted to perhaps sign up for the job. But Judas was chosen by Jesus. So he was somebody that Jesus invited into this close fellowship with him. He was the man who was given special responsibility of being treasurer, treasurer of the money um, carried by the disciples. We read that about, about that in John 12. This Judas was the man who was allowed into private moments and heard exactly the heart of Jesus and the purpose for which he came. So Judas was a man with ready feet. He was walking close to Jesus, having moments with Jesus, cutting out time to be with Jesus, forsaking everything to walk with Jesus. Ready feet. The man, the very Judas, was the man who devised a plan to use his closeness to Jesus for personal gain. Revealing that the closeness he had was probably very shallow and insincere. Tick the box, Judas is there. Awake with Jesus. Tick the box. Judas is there following Jesus. Tick the box. Judas is there listening to Jesus. Tick the box. But when it came to the right heart, the box was empty. Because the heart did not reveal what it should have. It was a shallowness and an insincerity. He was the man who was prepared to sell out a friendship for a few coins. He didn't get much for what he did. It wasn't worth much. That it was the same value of a cheap vacant land outside of Jerusalem, where Judas found himself hanging himself out after all of this, feeling remorse about what he had done. That's where he went and hanged himself. He was the man, when Jesus was arrested, gave one false kiss. If there ever is a remarkable kiss in the history of humanity, it's the kiss of Judas. He said, once I arrive and I kiss him, you will know it is him. And so he came, and he kissed Jesus. And I asked myself the question, how many times do I kiss my Savior? But what is in my heart is actually betrayal. I come and present myself as a friend. Because Jesus would have allowed, you don't just allow anybody so close and so personal that they would actually be able to kiss you. I hope you don't. No, it will be people that you trust and that you are befriended to. So Jesus had that I mean, Jesus knew exactly what's going to happen. But Judas knew that he had that closeness, that proximity to Jesus, that he could come and kiss him. Jesus would allow that. 
But Jesus knew exactly what was in his heart. That's why he said to him, Judas, you've come for something. Make it happen. Do it. Do what you've come for. I ask myself the question, is my closeness to Jesus a kiss of affection or a kiss of betrayal? Or a kiss of personal gain? I kiss him because I'm going to get something from this. I spend time with God. I do the, the believer thing, the following of Jesus stuff. Because, hey, maybe I can get something from this. This is what Judas did. It was a kiss of betrayal. It was not a kiss of affection. It was the man who Jesus said the following of. Listen to what Jesus said of Judas. Even though he was someone who followed him closely, Jesus said the following of him. It would have been far better. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Someone so close to Jesus. Jesus said, this man had one thing in his heart. He wanted to betray me. He wanted to get something out of this. And Jesus says, actually, the sad thing is, it would have been better if he wasn't born. But yet Jesus was allowing him so close. It makes you think of similar words that Jesus said in Mark 8, verse 36. He said, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world but lose his soul? Tick all the boxes, but you lose your soul in the process. Right feet, wrong heart. This was a man close to Jesus, yet looked for what he could gain from this closeness. What can I gain? And that's why even how Jesus taught us how to pray, you find that in the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer as we call it, Jesus comes to what we can gain from it, and our interest comes halfway down the, the prayer. He starts with, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then later on he gets to give us today what we need. But don't we often reverse that thing and start with give me today what I need and sort this out and, and please go ahead and, and help me with this. And, but our Father part does not really feature. And Judas seemingly had that mindset. I'm with Jesus because I'm going to gain something from this. It's not my Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If there's any attitude in me that is out of line with what you wanted to look like, please convict me and show me. If Judas had prayed that, guess what? God would have said, take out that personal gain, ambition that you have in pursuing Jesus. Remove that from your heart and replace it with a godly one. And so we've got to ask ourselves that question. Is my prayer life today based on what I could firstly gain? My pursuit of Jesus about me or is it about my Father in heaven? Hallowed be your name. 
the last person I want us to look at is, is this woman. And seemingly we can give her the name Mary. And she asks this question in her pursuit of being close to Jesus. She asks this question saying, what can I give? What can I give? Peter would have said, what is comfortable for me? Judas says, what can I get from this closeness? This woman comes and says, what can I give? Nothing is too much asked. And so we see that she's the woman who did not care what others would, were going to say about her. She wanted to honor her king. In chapter 14, verse 3, it says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, there were others who noticed this, and, and you better understand for a woman to come into that context where mostly men were reclining around a table as they would have done. They didn't have tables or chairs like we would. They would just lie around, and Jesus did that reclining and resting and having a meal. And so she comes into that context with mostly, most probably in the culture, it was just men reclining. She comes in, not caring what others would think. Not pursuing our own ambition. Not trying to be comfortable. Not trying to gain something. She was saying, what is important to him? And I don't care what others would say in my pursuit of this. She's the woman who does this extraordinary thing that is noticeable. She takes something that equals a year's wage. All right? It's a full year's wage, the value of what she did, what she gave away, what she broke in front of him. And you can work her out and pause it out onto Jesus. And she's told that this is a waste, but she never asked what she would lose. She was committed to ask what is best for him. She never considered her own loss. She considered what is best for him. So she was close to Jesus. We see that they often would refer to in the Gospels that the disciples being following with him, following him and being close to him, and then also these women that came and, and followed him and, and were around him often. And she was one of those, but it seems like she did it with a different attitude. Right feet, right heart. This is the woman who's noticed for her action. And Jesus' comment about this action stands in complete contrast to what he said about Judas. Remember what he said about Judas? Better that he was not born. He says this about this woman in chapter 14. In verse 9 he says, I truly I say to you, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. How is that done? Do we have sermons preached every day where they refer to this woman? May I suggest to you the fact that it's written in your Bible and that you are reading it right now is evidence that her memory is an everlasting one. 
because it's written, it's recorded in the Bible. And Jesus wanted us to see it recorded so that we can record the principle, the attitude, the right heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And so here we have it in the Bible. This Bible has been printed and reproduced and sold millions of copies across the world. Millions of times this particular story has been read and even preached about so that her legacy still remains. What she did that one moment is still being celebrated even right here this morning. And we, in this context, Peter didn't even give us her name. So guess what? Your identity, by the way, is not found in your name. Your identity is found in Christ. We make so much of names. At best, we start getting ourselves connected to the identity of Christ. Don't, I understand, don't, whatever, call your son devil or whatever. That's rubbish. Don't do that. Don't call your children terrorists either when they do things that are out of place. Speak, speak a blessing over them, all right? But don't become so tied up with names that you eventually find that oh, my identity is found in that. It's not. It's found in Christ. It's found in Jesus. So Jesus gave him something that even though it cost her so much, she was prepared to give it. And she gave it at the right time. She didn't give it afterwards and brought flowers to his tomb. She gave it when he was still alive. I want to ask you, give to Jesus today what you ought to give today. Don't, don't postpone. Don't put it off. When you need to come closer to Christ and there's a cost involved of time and, and, and discipline, do it today. Right feet right heart and so we ask these questions just in closing what is our motivation what is our motivation as we consider these three characters and the first one is is it our own comfort like it was for Peter can we have that last one just up? our own comfort yeah like Peter had in your pursuit, in being close to Jesus, in, in wanting to have the right feet. That's great. But let's check out the right heart. That it's not about your own comfort and how you would like to devise and define your closeness to Jesus according to your schedule and your comfort and, and what I prefer and what I don't want and what I do want. Could it be that we need to look at Judas and say, our motivation cannot be for our own gain. And we do gain from being close to Jesus. We do grow from being close to Jesus. But that's not a pursuit. The pursuit is Him. Cannot be our own gain. Should it rather be the last one where we find in the um, second one you could have put on of um, Judas. The last one is the motivation that, that Mary had is my own loss. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to get close to him in order for him to get what he deserves. And he deserves my life. So there's no high, too high a price asked. See, we live in a world where we're so focused on ourselves and what I want and what I need and what I deserve 
that when Christ comes into the picture, we look at what's comfortable for me, we look what we can gain. And our own loss is not considered. So best we get to the place where we say, Jesus, I'm prepared to give everything. And maybe this morning, this preach, in a sense, could even be like a rooster crowing. And saying, I want to get your attention. I want to get your attention. That's what Jesus was actually saying to Peter. I'm going to try to get your attention not to go through with what you were going to be doing. You could have stopped, Peter. You could have denied me once and heard the rooster. (gasps) Jesus said, oh my goodness, I best stop now. Best I stop right now. Best I make alterations to my life right now. And I ask you, not because I say you have to, but Jesus calls us to come and follow him. And that means a close walk with him. And if you need to address things in your life to come closer to him, we're going to talk about what it means practically as well in terms of time set aside, the disciplines of what it means just to bring a rhythm into your life of sitting down and reading the Bible. I ask you to let your heart be soft before the Lord to say, yes, Lord. I heard the rooster crow once. I will not ignore you. Let's close our eyes. I want to pray two prayers. I want to pray for people that have never, ever in their lives said yes to Jesus in terms of just acknowledging that that we are sinners and that we need salvation and the only way Um, forward is a relationship with Jesus and the only way into heaven is a relationship with Jesus and if you've never prayed that prayer and if you've never acknowledged that you need salvation in your life this morning we would like to help you and then I want to also pray for all of us that where God is actually now at this moment speaking about drawing aside coming closer being with Jesus that we will in our hearts respond. And I believe none of us are exempt from that invitation, from that call. And that this morning, we need to respond and just say, yes, Jesus, whatever that yes may mean. So I just want to pray. Let's bow the heads and pray. We bow before because we also through that recognize that he is Lord. This is not a ritual. We close our eyes because it helps to just not be distracted by things around us. It's not a ritual. And so, Lord, as we pray together this morning, we thank you that, Jesus, you came to die for our sins on the cross. And that as your people, salvation comes as we recognize that we cannot live without you. And I pray, Lord God, this morning for people who have never come to the place in their lives where they've admitted their need for you, admitted that they are sinners, but that they recognize that you died on a cross and through that obtained salvation. I pray, Father, if there are any people like that in this meeting this morning, that you will speak into their hearts and that they will recognize their need to repent of their sins and come to you. And Lord, I pray right now that conviction will come. 
I thank you for your grace. I also want to thank you, Jesus, that um, you're calling us to be close to you. Not just with the right feet in terms of programs, but with the right heart. That our pursuit of you will be genuine. And that it will be directed towards you. And not for what we can gain and how comfortable it can be for us. Lord, here we have a beautiful story. And there's nobody else who you talk about like this where you say, what she has done will be told into eternity in memory of her. So there's obviously something incredibly valuable that you want us to learn from this story. That we need to be prepared to lay down our lives and give what is most costly to us so that you can be honored. And I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that where we need to see a change of heart take place in our lives, I pray that we will be prepared to let those changes come. I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Father, that as a church you are realigning us with your purposes. But until, Lord God, all those purposes are in place, we need to be realigned with you. And help us, Lord God, to see that happen. Even with the simplicity of hearts being put in the right direction. So that when our feet are in that direction of we've got time that we set aside, we have we lived simple lives, we, we slow down, whatever it may be, but Lord God, that we will do so with a right heart. And I pray that as a church, Lord, you will help us towards that place. Pray for everybody here this morning, Lord God, that, that senses that they that they need to let the right motivation be evident in their lives as we walk closely to you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.